Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, you are on your throne. You are Lord of creation, over creation, and you promise to even dwell in us, your creation, your created beings, in your beings you created in your image, and you promise your Holy Spirit to to live in us. And as we turn to your word, will your Holy Spirit speak to us now and reveal to us who you are so that we can know who we are, so that we can trust you even more completely. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn to the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can find one in one of the seats around you, underneath the, the seats. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I would love to give you one and come see me after the worship service. And I will do that. Today, we're going to look at the first page of uh, the Bible text, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. If uh, you are newer here or haven't got to know me too well, I have five kids. And uh, my wife, Melissa, um, had them one at a time, five pregnancies. Uh, Five times getting ready to go to the hospital and wondering when that would be the first the first pregnancy uh melissa was induced and so she got the pit drip there wasn't uh there we knew when we were going to go to the hospital we just looked at our you know the appointment time on the card i don't know Uh, not no surprise there but the rest of the the four kids the rest of the five the four after that um she was able to let nature take its course and so we were Wondering, you know, as we got closer to delivery time, when would that be? I remember with our second oldest, uh, Luke, who's here today, uh, Melissa and I were walking all over the neighborhood trying to get Luke um, to, uh, to hurry up and come out. Um, God has uh, given a sign when it's time for a mom to get to the hospital. Um, an interesting mechanism. Um, as an alert, it's time to go. What is that? What's that sign that God gives? Water breaks. Interesting, this sign of water. Um, and when that water breaks, it's time to go. That's what that means. It's it better get to the hospital. That new little creation is is coming out. When our third child was was born, we had uh, good friends of ours that were going to watch the rest of the kids while we went to the hospital. And um, Melissa's water broke, and we called them, and they were in the middle of watching the last Lord of the Rings movie in the movie theater. And we said, Melissa's water broke. 
it's time for us to go. And they said, well, can you wait a few hours? And we said, no. <laughs> and they never spoke to us again. But now, no, they're good friends. We spoke. Um, so we're, we're in the series on water and what it symbolizes in the Bible. And I thought Mother's Day was a fitting day to look at how water is a sign of creation. Genesis 1 gives this account of God's original creation. Um, it's interesting when you look at different cultures in human history and their, their ancient stories, their ancient myths of uh, creation. And many of those, those creation myths that we see um, from ancient human history, they, they have creation coming from these primordial waters. Um, so Genesis isn't unique in that, but Genesis, the Genesis story of creation uh, is unique in a couple of ways, and I'm going to point those out um, this morning and how it's different from these different other creation myths. So, um, they, and, and the Genesis story tells us two really important things about God and then what that means for our three really important things and then what that means for our lives. Um, so the first point is this. God is a powerful creator in some of these ancient creation myth stories creation it's it's like a byproduct of of something happening something else and that something else happening often if you look at these different ancient stories um, is a battle between forces good and evil one of the most famous um, other creation accounts is the enuma elish that comes from Mesopotamia, ancient Babylonian era in, in place. You might remember from uh, world history that this was one of the first civilizations in Mesopotamia. And there's this story called the Enuma Elish that describes creation happening when two gods, a good god and an evil god, had this fierce battle. The god Marduk um, fought the evil goddess Tiamat, and Tiamat lived in the sea, in, the, in the, the deep. And Tiamat came out of the primordial waters. Marduk defeated Tiamat. And the world, according to the Enuma Elish, is a byproduct. It's actually Tiamat's body that Marduk made into the world. Now, a lot of people take a look at these ancient myths, and they clump the story of creation from Genesis with all the other creation myths, because they share a few similarities, like these primordial waters, and people say, ah, don't you see Genesis 1? It's just a myth. It's just a story. It's just one of several ancient cultures trying to make sense of the world as they know it. See the similarities? Tiamat coming out from the primordial waters. Here comes the world. Genesis 1, there's these waters. And here comes the world. They're all the same, right? Wrong. What Genesis does is it actually corrects the faulty viewpoints from these other ancient myths. So I want to take a closer look at verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1. And this phrase in it, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Now that word hovering is used only two other times in the Bible, so it's very rarely used. And one other time that it's used, it describes an eagle that is brooding, hovering over its nest of its young. 
It's chicks. Um, and what you need to know about that word hovering is it's not a frantic word. It's, it implies a soft, relaxed posture. Uh, that eagle is not frantically frying over its nest um, that other time that it's used. It's just hovering. It, it gives a much different image of creation, this word hovering, than many of these other ancient myths. Um, unlike other ancient myths, Genesis 1 says creation is not a struggle. It is not some battle royal between two opposing gods. Um, creation is from God, who with complete sovereignty and complete control and complete calm created all that there is. So the, the Spirit was not flying frantically over the waters in Genesis chapter 1, just hovering over the waters. Calmly hovering implies a relaxed state. You can be calm when you are the powerful creator. God is completely unflustered. And this is one of the things that make him totally different. He's completely unflustered in who he is. Um, and he, he just doesn't have to work hard. And when I have to work hard, I can get flustered. Let me show you this image. This is an image of my favorite tree. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, what an awesome tree. Look at that massive thing. Um, why is that my favorite tree? Well, that is the, actually the third tree that I transplanted. And it's the only one that has ever lived of <laughs> my tree transplants. Um, I have to work hard, and I get flustered. And the first tree was a, a peach tree. I was so excited. I was going to have peaches. That tree gave me one lousy green peach about an inch and a half in diameter, and it kind of the tree didn't last much longer after that. The second tree was this oak tree. We had nothing but pine trees in our house. This is in the other side of Houston years ago. And a friend of mine was a pastor, and his church was on this very wooded area, and he said, hey, Greg, if you want a tree, go dig one up out of our woods. I'm like, that's great. So I drove out there with Melissa, um, had our shovel, had our bucket, and, oh, my gosh, we worked hard. Uh, let, me, let me put that differently. I, I worked really hard um, getting this little oak tree. So I got this oak tree, put it in the back of the Suburban. It's flapping out of the back of the Suburban because it's too big to fit in the, you know, encased in the Suburban. Get, get it home, dig it up, or plant it in the backyard, and within a week, its leaves are turning brown. And um, I had such great hope for that oak tree, and it died. But this one... Um, it's been about two months ago that I transplanted that one. And uh, so you can see its leaves are still green, and I've got great hope for that, um, that, that little tree there. But, um, but I just want you to realize, and you can see this, how hard I've had to work to get one tree <laughs> to live. And I get very frustrated. But not God. Uh, God was completely unflustered, unhindered in his creation. And let me tell you, God did not just create the world like, a, like the old watchmaker would, would make a watch and wind it up and just set it by itself to, to keep 
um, operating on its on its own. God continues to um, to guide creation and continues to create. In fact, one of the things that we hear over and over again in the scriptures is that God um, is always making things new. He's always creating. He's he's making streams in the wilderness. Maybe one of the most uh, famous or familiar. Uh, times that we hear that in the scripture is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. God says, forget the formal things, the former things do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. And I was thinking about this verse and I was thinking, you know, I suppose I can make some streams in the way, in the wilderness or in the wasteland too. It would just take a ton of work and I would kill myself doing it. Um, it would take a long time building some irrigation system, and we could do that, but it would be really hard. We'd have to get out our shovels, and we'd have to start digging up rock, and God would say, hey, you leave that rock there because I'll make streams just pour forth from that rock. That's how easy God creates. He's completely unhindered in his creation. So God is the powerful creator, but he's also, second point, God is the perfecting creator. Now, he's the perfect creator, but he's also the perfecting creator. Let me tell you what I mean. Genesis 1 tells us much more than just God creates. It tells of the perfection of God's creation. God creates everything with a purpose. Um, You know, it'd be one thing for him to just create stuff out of nothing, and that's what God does, creates matter out of nothing. That's, That's kind of impressive. Um, but even more impressive is his ability to create stuff that actually works. When God creates, he assigns everything a purpose and a function. And if I were to do this, if I were to create some stuff, um, if I were to have a bunch of computer parts up here, maybe that I even created myself and said, hey, just a bunch of miscellaneous computer parts, and said, look at this, I created a computer you would be like, so what? You just have a bunch of computer parts sitting up here. What is impressive is if the computer actually works, right? And that's what God does. He does more than just uh, create out of nothing. He creates with purpose and, and creates things that actually work and fulfill their purpose. So look at um, verse 2 again, a different phrase this time. It says, the world was formless and void. That word formless can be translated as chaotic or can be understood as chaotic. The world was chaotic and void. Now, what's chaos? Well, chaos is more than just stuff flying around at a really fast pace, right? Chaos is a condition when nothing is playing its proper role, when nothing is operating as it should. That's chaos. The Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos, ready to purposefully create and bring order and meaning and function. Look at verse 5 that we read earlier. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. John Walton is uh, an Old Testament professor at Wheaton College, and he looks at that verse and he says, well, why didn't God just call the, uh, the light light? And call the darkness, darkness. And he says, because this is about God giving light and darkness its purpose. God says, light, 
you be day for my people, for my creation. And darkness, you be night for my creation. Serve that purpose. Have that function. So God, in Genesis 1, is giving everything its function. And when what happens when creation does as it should and functions properly? It's, it's good. It's good. What happens when creation ceases to serve its purpose? See, that's the story of another water story in the Bible. Genesis chapters 6 through 8 in the, in the flood. God created human beings to, to show dominion, um, to serve creation, to help create, to nurture creation. That's, that's the, the function that God gave to people in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But there came a time when human beings were not doing that, and they were failing at the very thing God designed them to do. God looked at the human heart and saw that it, that it, was, that it was evil in all of its inclinations. So God used another water moment to do something, to bring about renewed creation. He sent this flood and used it to begin creation again. He started with Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight people. And again, we see God's power in creation. Um, how, many, how many of each kind of animal did God tell Noah, bring with you on the ark? It was two of each kind, right? And we see in that that God leaves himself very little margin for error. Two of each kind. I mean, what if one of those little lambs on the ark got a little too close for one, to one of those lions on the ark and became a, you know, a little midnight snack? Um, well, <laughs> there goes the male or the female. You got problems. Um, what if they, they landed in the, the mountainous uh, area of Ararat, what if the animals get off the ark and a big boulder comes rolling down and smashes one of the cats or the bunnies? you got a problem. God leaves himself no margin for error, but he's completely fine with that. If God were to share with you his reproductive plan with the ark, you might have said, God, you sure you want, don't want to put on a few extra animals on that ark? And God's like, no, I can do it with just two of each kind. I can protect each animal. Keep them alive. That's the power of God. He was able to do that without a single error or mishap, and he's able to give purpose to all parts of his creation and to get rid of the chaos. And this morning, you may feel like you have a little chaos in your life, or a lot of chaos even. Uh, Maybe you are worried and disappointed with how things are going, how things are turning out. Maybe you're disappointed with how things don't seem to be functioning the way that they should be in your life. You know, Mother's Day can actually be a, a painful day um, for, for many women and moms. It can be disappointing, uh, disheartening, especially if you've been unable to have children or maybe you've lost a child. Or maybe you don't get along with your children. And things in life could be seeming that they're going in the wrong direction and you have this chaos. I want you to know this this morning. God will create order in your chaos. Because that is what 
God does. And that is what God always has done. He is a perfecting creator. I'd like to um, invite the junior hires, if you would like to go um, be a part of your small group discussion and continue to talk about how God brings order into the chaos of our life, you are dismissed. rest of us, I want us to um, think through how God creates order to our chaos because, quite honestly, and you know this as well as I do, um, it's quite possible that God will bring about order in a way that you don't expect. God has a tendency to bring about a future that isn't quite what we expected or would ask for may even be a more difficult future than we would have wanted. But it's a better one. It's a deeper one. And we are infatuated, I think, as a human species with ease. Uh, We just want things to be easy, and sometimes God leads us down that hard road. And so we have this tension that we see in the Bible. Uh, God promises to come to our aid, to be near us, to draw near to us. There's a promise in the scripture for that. To rescue us when we are in need of rescuing. But because of the sin that we've inherited from the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, often the way that we want to be rescued from the difficulties of life um, that are surrounding us may not be God's way of rescuing us. See, sometimes... The chaos that God wants to bring order to, it's not external to us. The chaos often that God wants to bring order to is internal, within us. This chaos in our heart, in our inner being. And often if we have that chaos in our inner being, we actually contribute to the chaos in the world around us. There's this phrase, I'm sure you've heard it describing how inner chaos can lead to outer chaos, except it uses the word hurting. Hurting people, what do they do? They hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. So the inward chaos can lead to us being a part of the outward chaos. And God says, I want to bring order to that. God says, you're not living up to who I designed you to be. So I want to bring order. So one more thing that water, as a sign, reminds us of. God creates for himself a people that will serve his purposes and his pleasures. Where do we see that? Well, we we need to look at something. Um, There is another time in Scripture when the Holy Spirit is likened to a bird. Do you remember that other time? And when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down, descended like a dove. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Notice, that's not frantic. That's not flying like a falcon just descending like a dove and alighting on him. 
See, baptism is a sign of several things. But one of the things is that it is a sign of is that God chooses us to be his people. In the Old Testament, there was a different sign of God choosing some to be his people. That sign was circumcision. Now that sign in the, Old, in the New Testament, and now it is baptism. It is a sign that God chooses you to be in his family. Notice, we do not choose to be in God's family. God chooses us to be his children. God chooses us to be in his family. And we say something about this moment when God brings us into his family as his children. We say that we are born again. We are made new. And, and you see, when Jesus was baptized, he was, he was inaugurating all this. He was starting all of this. In Jesus, God is ultimately creating everything new. You may have heard of Jesus referred to as the last Adam. The Apostle Paul refers to Christ as the last Adam. There was the first Adam in the beginning with Adam and Eve, and, and he was flawed, and each person has sin in them because of the first Adam. Well, Jesus is the last Adam. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5, for if by the trespass of one man, that's the first Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the new Adam, making all things new. Christ came to create a new, restored, redeemed people who know and who have experienced the grace of God. And if you know the powerful and perfecting creator God, you know the grace of God because God orders the world and our life to bring us good and to make us good. One of our church confessions or creeds is the Heidelberg Confession of Faith. And um, it says that, when you believe God is your Father who created you, in the beginning, uh, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? When you believe that God is your Father who created you, you can say this, In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will always turn my good and turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. So we know that that God is creating all things for our good. He's working all things for our good. That's grace. When you believe that, you can live with more peace, with more joy. Hmm? deeper sense of God's presence and fulfillment in your life, you can have a new life. You can have a different life. So baptism is the sign of God's recreation in your life. He's making you new. He makes us new on the inside. And that leads to a new life on the outside as well. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Those verses 
Uh, I guess I gave you the wrong scripture reference on that. That is actually Colossians 2. It's the right slide, correct slide, just wrong scripture uh, at the bottom. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 say, But your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. This new life, you were raised to new life through your faith in the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. So baptism symbolizes dying to sin and its effects in our life, dying to our old self, our old ways, self-centered tendencies, and this rising to new life where God has made our insides new. God is committed to making you whole, just like he was committed to making the world whole when he, when he sent the flood. There was a death, but there was new life. So baptism shows I've died to myself, but now I'm living. I'm living for God. So in closing, I want you to think about a bit of chaos in your life. And it could be external to you, could be internal within you, could be a little mixture of both, right? Think about chaos. Will you ask God and trust God to bring order and to make that new? And another thing i like for you to do, if you have not been baptized, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you haven't been baptized, I would like for you to consider being baptized. Um, because God gives to us baptism as a gift. It's not, a, it's not one thing, oh, I've got to do this. It's a gift to us, a sign of God's creative work, his persistent, perfecting, powerful, created work in our life, making you new. If you haven't been baptized and would like to be baptized, or are interested in talking to me about baptism, on your connection card, there's a little box. Um, on the bottom left of the card, you can just check. I'd li- I'm interested in being baptized, and um, I will get back with you. At the end of the month, May 30th, we're having Baptism Sunday, so we're baptizing hopefully lots of people at the end of this month. The waters of baptism is a sign of God's Holy Spirit working in your life, changing your life and recreating your life. Let's pray. Gracious creator God, this morning we put our trust again in your goodness. And maybe, maybe for the first time, for someone putting their trust in you, for the providing for our lives, the governing of our lives, the ordering of our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you make things new, all things new. You bring streams in the wilderness. And it may seem that we're walking in the wilderness now, or maybe part of our life seems like it's wilderness. But we await your streams. We know they're coming because that's who you are. You're the God that restores all things and brings life to all things.
and we give you thanks. Amen.